0: Yeah, ways. here is my request you don't have to play it but i hope you'll do your best i've been listening to your show on the
1: radio and you seem like a friend to me howdy hi victoria Stand the man, man. hello oh don't get up it's only me Welcome to a brand new year. I'm Liz. I'm Pete. 1420, 3XY. How are you? It's nine after six with Lee Simon. It's 18 to six. 3DB with Keith McGowan. More grand old favourites to play for you a little later on. 3EE,
0: the breeze, 693. Good morning and welcome to our brand new radio station. Good afternoon, Melbourne. It's seven minutes past three. This is Greg Evans at 1420,
1: 3 xy Well, hi and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves, our 40 minutes or so where we talk to the people behind the voices who were friends to a whole generation. This week's guest is a self-confessed radio nomad moving through 10 stations in 20 years before finding broadcasting stability, 25 years in fact, at the ABC.
0: There's fun and throughout the day. Where
1: always going on. 2-U-W-N-A. Hey Ted Bull, welcome to Pilots and thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you, Paul. It's uh, I think a pleasure to be here. Of course it is. Of course it is.
1: Now, Ted, tell us a little bit about those early years of growing up, family life. Who were you listening to and when, quote, chatting on the radio and playing rock and roll music became your obsession?
0: <laughs> well, it, it's uh, I come from a, uh, a single-parent family and brought up by a mum and two sisters, being the youngest i was felt rotten, and uh, I've expected that throughout my life and haven't always got it. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was uh, uh, you know, we're sort of, Bit of a struggle street for us, uh, Herne Bay Housing Settlement, uh, NAWI Housing Commission, uh, Mount Druitt. And when I got to Mount Druitt, I knew it was time to leave. So at the age of 18, I, I left uh, being an official Westie. But a good childhood, a great childhood, and lots of fond memories. And one of the greatest memories, and I I think in retrospect, I realized this effect of what I did, uh, because there wasn't a lot of money around, as you would imagine. Mum used to take us into the Macquarie Auditorium in Sydney uh, to, uh, to to watch them making the radio serials, and particularly the Bunkhouse show, which I'll, I'll never forget. And, and even to this day, I can still remember the smell and the lack of sound because of the soundproofing in the studio. And I, I, I found that throughout my career, that's something I, I loved about studios, just the, the sense of, of being... In a studio, and the other studio memory I have is when I was about 12 or 13, uh, with myself and a couple of my schoolmates, we went into Rumpus Room. that was on 2UE and run by Howard Craven. And once again, just being in that studio, although I, I do recall, I, don't know, I think Howard Craven asked me something and I made some smart-ass reply to which he gave me a group. And, <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm headed for a career that's now over. But, uh, yeah, good childhood, good childhood.
1: Now, school-wise, I'd say you were studious, excelled in English, and took a keen interest in the school productions. How's my profiling ability?
0: (laughs) I hated school. Oh, I really did. I had the misfortune of being in an all-boys school, and having been brought up by a mother and two sisters, I I missed the fact of, of having women in my life. Um, English, no. All I remember is my English teacher walking past me and giving me a clip in the ear. That English teacher went on to play for Australia as a spin bowler, Peter Philpot. And I thought, well, at least the hand that got some wickets for Australia also clipped my ear. But, uh, yeah, I, I did a few things um, at, at school. At, in uh, We did uh, Pyramus and Thisbee was my, my great part, plus... Uh, from Gilbert and Sullivan, which I developed a great love for later in life.
1: 2LT Lithgow was your first stop on the radio journey. How do you remember your first professional employment behind the microphone?
0: (laughs) Well, uh, after 48 applications, I eventually got the job. And I got the job because I I lied. um, I was working for EMI, and my job at EMI was to count cardboard boxes for television sets. And uh, the department was called the production department. So in my uh, application, I wrote, "I'm working in production at EMI." So they thought <laughs> I was actually working in record production. But I got, I got the job. I got the job. And uh, I always thought it was amazing to think that the uh, the one-bar radiator with a thousand watts had twice the wattage power as a stick that was broadcasting 2LT. Interesting. Good fun. But I have to say that, that Lithgow was a, a great place, a great community. Uh, I played cricket to uh, make uh, mates, and uh, I went to the local theatre group to meet girls. So all in all, and, and I just loved being on air. I really felt that I'd found my niche in life and how lucky I
1: was. Now, it's fair to say you definitely didn't let that grass grow under your feet. 2KA Katoomba, 2WL Wollongong, 2CH Sydney, then 2HD in Newcastle. Four stations in five years. Any particular reason for such frequent moves?
0: Well, yes. I, I had this ambition. The only ambition I had, and I achieved at twenty-six, and from then on it was all downhill. I just wanted to make city radio, doing a major shift by the time I was twenty-six. And all of us back then, you know, we jumped from station to station, all with the the aim to to hit uh, a capital city radio station and get a major shift. And once I and I got it. Um, and I had uh, you know the great experience of working in different formats. And, and the TUW the job that I got from TU2HD, two, two Malcolm T. Elliott, much missed and, and, a, and a good mate who I work with, he used my story when he was employed at TUW. The true story is that Ray Bean rang me and offered me the job and I fell off my chair. So Malcolm years later I'm reading one of his stories and he says and Ray Bean rang me and I fell off my chair so I guess the the, the chairs at Two HD weren't very good seeing as two of us fell off them when we were offered a job.
1: As you mentioned there 1969 you landed at a fairly dominant 2UW in Sydney with the 1110 men and the new UW format. What were your on-air duties?
0: Well I, I started off being you know the dog's body and, and filled in everywhere and uh, was out in the you know the lucky prize car and did all that kind of stuff, which was great fun. Uh, Pally wasn't there when I was there, uh, unfortunately he he was on one of his sabbaticals. I think he was walking down George Street waving a gun at the time. But uh, I did work with 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 Losey and 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 Jeff Haynes, and it always got me with with Jeff, where you know everybody said oh he's scary. He was the softest, gentlest, nicest bloke I I ever knew. And and Lawsy I, I, I got on very well with and in some ways he adopted me and helped me become a party animal which was really the demise from 2UW for me when I became the party animal.
1: So from Sydney to Perth is a fair shift both geographically and professionally given the two radio markets at the time. What was the attraction to Go West?
0: Uh, a job. Um, <laughs> I'd sort of... Uh, uh blown it at TUW. At and uh, and and I sort of, but I, I was still liked. I've gone on well with everybody, you know, with Ray Bean and Rod Muir. And I remember Rod Muir saying to me once, he said, look, Teddy said, no one's going to employ you in Sydney. We all love you, but you party too much. But I have this mate, Rhett Walker, who has a station in Perth. And in retrospect, I realize now it was as far away from Sydney as they could get me. And uh, so it was a job, so I came over to Perth and, and went to PR, which became Beautiful Music, which went to number one, although by the time it went to number one, I, of course, it left. I mean, why hang around for the good time? Uh, but uh, Beautiful Music and me, well, it just sort of didn't gel, to be honest,
1: Paul. Didn't <laughs> gel. <laughs> yes, I could imagine. Now, before that change of format, PR had a strong personality lineup with Gary Meadows, Barry Martin, Gordon O'Byrne, and Trevor Smith. How many of those guys actually survived the format change?
0: Ah, uh, well, that all basically gone by then. I mean, I mean, Ret Walker, uh, most brilliant programmer. Although I have to say that uh, uh, his, uh, his his acolyte, Cherie. Romaro, I think in some ways was better given that she had a human side to her, where, where Rhett was very scientific, very logical, but quite quite brilliant. But that all basically been filtered out uh, over a couple of years as PR tried to find its feet and they got Rhett. And I think it was owned by a Victorian company at the time. And so they sent Rhett over to, uh, to get it all set up so they could sell it, I think. And he got it to number one with this uh, format called Gentle On Your Mind. And I realised it was time for me to go when, when I found myself up and bopping to this masquerade from The Carpenters.
1: Now, Ted, while in Perth, what was your relationship like with Brendan Sheedy?
0: <laughs> it was good in um, Perth. I mean, he offered a job at, uh, uh, to me to at 3DB in, in Melbourne. Maybe at 3DB, Brendan and I fell out a little. We, we had... Um, uh, different agendas, I think, and basically, I mean, it's in retrospect, it was all because I'd, I'd had working six days a week on radio. I just was absolutely, you know, flat by that sixth day, and so I always felt that it was going to be part of my deal that I'd get a five-day week. And I think Brendan felt it never was going to be. So eventually, we not that we had a fallout, but that. I left and I think he was happy to see the, to see me go. But, but in retrospect, I realized now that with all these program managers that I upset, you know a lot of it was my own fault. I wasn't the easiest person to get on with sometimes, I think. In retrospect, age makes one a little softer.
1: You were, of course, part of the DB music revolution in Melbourne that was led by Brendan Sheedy. Now, it was a seismic change of format that literally happened overnight. Was there much tension in the corridors of Flinders Lane in the days leading up to the changeover?
0: Um, If there was, I was sort of kept out of it because I was part of the change. And uh, the, the old lags, I think, were avoiding us like the plague or trying to keep their job, which you can understand, by going along with it. As much as they could, but then you get people who are who are really adaptive and and could do anything. Brilliant radio people like like, like Dennis Scanlon Scanlan. I, I mean, Den was part of the old tribe, but he he made the change quite brilliantly because uh, Den has and is still such a good broadcaster. And and Den had no problem. Uh, he went along with whatever the whichever way the wind was blowing, and it was to Den's benefit. He went that way, and rightly so, which you have to.
1: Now, there was no bigger contrast in presentation styles than the Silver Fox John Eden one day, then Rick Melbourne the next. What was it like working with and following Rick Melbourne?
0: We, uh, we developed a great friendship, Rick and I. I. I think he was obviously one of the most talented people in radio, but unfortunately couldn't take direction, and I say that with great respect. Uh, I, I think because, see, I had that experience of working with Rhett Walker, where I respected him and understood that what he was saying was the way it was going to go and he knew what he was talking about. I think unfortunately Rick never came across someone of that kind of personality. So he was allowed to just go his own way and and as brilliant as he was with all brilliance. I mean brilliance so often goes over the top and and loses its way, but I have to say that I loved the time and and we were at uh, he took me to 3Kz with him. And uh, just a very quick story, one of my moments where you look back in life and say, did I make the right decision? Don Lane asked me to come over and do breakfast with him on 3UZ. And I remember saying, no, I've, I'm loyal to Rick because Rick was loyal to me. And then three months later, <laughs> we get stuffed the loyalty to you all and went back to 3DB. So, you know, who knows what would have happened.
1: So how confident was Sheedy and the team that DB Music could win over a conservative audience and attract plenty of newbies as well
0: uh look they you know they put a lot of money into it a lot of time because they had the held and Weekly Times and Channel Seven they had all those media outlets to promote it as well, and it was a good format, and the promotion was really good but but um three x y was so entrenched then and also for a while we were still carrying races, uh, you know which um see i I still remember i All of a sudden in my program, I I had the races. And I remember saying, um, you know, they've jumped at Manangatang or whatever, and then coming back to playing a a track from ABBA. And it just sort of, you know, it just didn't have that that freedom that it should have had from the start.
1: Now, Ted, we spoke of profiling earlier. I could imagine the poetry reading Ted Bull wearing a caftan in a darkened studio with incense burning in the corner, how far off the mark would I be?
0: You're pretty right, yeah. I uh, And I even, and in fact, I was talking to Brendan just, just recently on the phone uh, and uh, I said, whatever happened to that fish tank that you had put into the studio for me because I wanted to get the ambience and the gentleness of the fish whilst I was on air? And he said, I think it sprung a leak and disappeared. But yeah, yeah, of course it was. But hey, I was, um, you know, I was young, I was frivolous, I was Probably uh, had a few bad habits that I shouldn't have had, um, and last was good. Crazy, but good.
1: Pilots of the Airwaves, we are speaking with Ted Bull, and Ted, in April 1976, the 3DB lineup was Melbourne, Bull, Dennis Scanlon, Gary Mack, Greg Smith and Ron O'Neill, but that wasn't to last, thanks to the great 3KZ radio coup involving three of those jocks and newsreader Robert Hicks. What are your memories of what has been described as the biggest airlift in Australian history?
0: <laughs> and the biggest crash. <laughs> it was uh, um, Glenn Driscoll, as a good mate of mine, he was in Tassie. And we've uh, seen each other since, and we laugh over all the hopes and, and that we had with uh, 3KZ and, and how it just didn't come to fruition. but. Oh, no, they were naughty boy times. They really were. We, we went to lunch too much and we just, you know, we really, oh, I don't know. We, we, we didn't have that, that solid um, uh, solid sort of backing of someone to keep us in line. and And, you know, you put kids in the candy shop and they go crazy. And we did. But, hey, it's good to have those
1: memories. Ted, we heard recently from Holger Brockman that he was given his instant marching orders from 2UE when he admitted he'd committed to 2 WG. What was the reaction to your imminent departure from 3DB?
0: Well, I'd actually left. I'd actually left. But, but Brendan was, was very upset because he had a lot of faith in Rick, and rightly so, uh, because Rick did do some good things for 3DB on both occasions. And I, I think uh, Brendan, I mean, I can't speak on his behalf, but I, I think he was really hurt. Uh, mainly by Rick going. But then Rick saw it as an opportunity. He wasn't just going to be on air. He was going to be program director. And like most of us who've worked in radio at one stage or time in our lives, we've wanted to be a PD. Or, or they, they're called content or content directors today. I'm never quite sure which they are. <laughs> but uh, back then, we were just PDs. And and Rick really you know, he had great ideas. And he had great plans. And they were... It's just like like everything. Um, uh, any market, it just takes time. And even though I joke about us having a good time all the time, we we really could have done with another year or two to bed it down. And and I think it would have been successful because it was um, it it was getting a lot of reaction. But uh, you know, stations change and and. You you lose listeners before you gain them, don't you?
1: Indeed. Now, back to Perth and to 6IX for your longest commercial radio stint. Was the game plan always to return west, or was it simply just where the work was? And who else was on air at the time at 6IX?
0: Well, um, uh, Tony Hartney was here. Uh, uh, Cherie Romaro was here. And that was, Cherie said, hey, you need a job, Ted? Come on home. Well, Perth is home, obviously, because I've lived here so long. And uh, so I I, I came back, and Peter Sinclair was here, good mate. uh, Pete Brown, uh, quite a few of of my old friends and colleagues I'd worked with at various radio stations. And the whole concept was set up by Rod Muir and other people to uh, prepare us for an event. And the whole mm-hmm. concept was to come over here and not so much work for 6IX, but to either go to Melbourne or Adelaide. I'm oh, Sorry, not that. Oh, I don't mean that. That's a slip. That is a Freudian slip, let me tell you. Uh, Melbourne or Sydney. Um, with Brett Walker in Melbourne, who'd applied for the license, who sadly didn't get it. Uh, and of course, uh, the license uh, in, in Sydney. And that was the whole concept of the 6ix Easy Rolling. Great format, great group, group of people I worked with. I'd say the best radio station experience I ever had.
1: Okay, there were good times, no doubt, at 6ix. But, of course, it did come to an end in 1983. And, as is the exception, rather than the rule in this business, you were given the chance to say goodbye to your audience. Tell me, Ted, did you go out swinging?
0: Well, well, you know, I mean, I never break format have never broken format in my life, and I never broke format on that day. But on the Wednesday, on the Wednesday, they told me they were sacking me on the Friday. And they said, I oh, want you to finish your shift. <laughs> I thought, you know, <laughs> how mad is that? So I went on air on, on the Thursday breakfast and then the Friday. And I just, and they put a story in the paper, which I didn't like about my going, because I'd ask them if they put a nice story And it wasn't an unnice story, but, you know, it was sort of like I'd been removed, uh, which I had been. Um, And so I I got on air and and I just pointed out the fact that I was leaving. But you know what, Paul? Paul, there is a a listener rang and this woman said something I've never forgotten. And I've passed this on to colleagues who have been going through a bad time. And this woman rang and she said to me, said, Bull, I'm sad you're going. I'll just have to get used to someone else. (laughs) And I thought, wow, how about that?
1: Speaking of calls, do you remember this quote from your final day on air? I thought I might have got a few more calls than what I got, but I guess it probably reflects our ratings.
0: (laughs) What can I say? Uh, The defence rests.
1: Out of commercial radio and into the ABC for an incredible 25 years, was Auntie always on your to-do list or did the opportunity just come by chance?
0: No, it was called A Sensible Woman I Was Married To, who we had a court case over my demise from 6IX Channel 7, which we won and they appealed and the appeal was thrown aside. So we came out of it and we were just really worried about it, this this court case. And it was coming up. This is before it was coming up. And Julie, my wife said to me, she said, Look, go to the ABC. She said, I've had this gypsy type life that we've been leading. And I say that word today, even though it's politically incorrect, but that was the term she used. And so she said, Look, uh, ABC from time to time has flirted with you. So why don't you flirt with them? And so I did. And they said, Look, we can offer you a job, but we can't offer you one in Perth uh, at the moment because. We'd rather you sort of leave town. And Dennis Scanlon had been offered his job breakfast in Adelaide at 5 a.m. and Den wasn't going to leave Melbourne, Victoria. So uh, he rang me and, and I rang them and they said, well, yeah, because Errol Silver was program director and I've worked with Errol at C H And so I went over to Adelaide, as I've always said, for twelve months to pay for every sin I'd ever committed and every sin I was going to commit. I I, I, I Adelaide and Ted bull you know, maybe because I'm from convict stock, um <laughs> you know, and they're all free settlers over there. Um I mean I even have someone ring me up and, and excuse the French, but this person said, Ted bull, you fuck the A B C and I said to them, Well why don't you just fuck off then? <laughs> and then? And then I came back to the ABC here in, in Perth, uh, or back to Perth. And I'll never forget, I was on air one Saturday night because I was doing dog's body shifts first off, and rightly so. And I was on air on a Saturday night, and the phone was going crazy. And I'd toughened up in Adelaide, where if people rang up and insulted me, I thought, how dare they? And I'd you know, tell them to go uh, jump off a cliff. Uh, you know, How dare you? Uh, and the phone was, and all it was, there were people who were ringing up to welcome me back home to Perth. And I, I, I still feel a little teary when I think about that experience. It was just wonderful to have, a, you know, a group of listeners who liked you. And I think I, I needed to be loved back then, Paul.
1: Yeah, you got some tissues here if you do need them, Ted. Hey, listen, tell us about Breakfast at 720 ABC Perth. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, it was, It it was good. It was um, a great experience. I I mean, I got nine years and nine months out of it before they decided that my use-by date was up, which, you know, and I was pretty upset when that ended, because it had been a long time and and quite successful. Uh, We'd done some good things. Uh, I was lucky to work with the one producer, Mariana Travellini, for eight years, uh, and we had... great rapport going and in, in fact it's interesting when I did the regional program for the ABC for 10 years uh there with um it, again likewise with the people I, I I worked with Gene Brown for 10 years I just had this great relationship and and that's the whole thing when you work with a producer it's got to be a team thing but you can't be dominating you know you have to be and Vicky Burke, it's just got to be a mutual thing. But just getting back to breakfast, yes. Look, it was a, a great 10 years. And, and really, in, in retrospect, when you look at things, it was time for me to give it up. really was the breakfast. I've done it too long.
1: Now, many of the on-air personalities enjoy the security of the studio, but you were never afraid to take the show on the road. What were some of the more memorable outside broadcasts you are involved with?
0: Oh, from a, from a Mackie jet? <laughs> Top that! from a Mackie jet, uh, from uh, a locomotive, a steam engine, um, from an ocean liner, uh, all throughout the state of Western Australia uh, in on a commercial airline. So I did do a lot of OBs from a lot of different places and uh, it's great fun. You're out there, uh, you're on the edge. And uh, I I did one from the tallest building in Perth and I heard Ian McCrae many, many years previously to this on two S M when they'd moved to a new building and he said, If you're listening, blink your headlights so I can see you, he could see the harbour bridge. So I thought I'll pinch that. So they're on top of this tallest building in Perth and I said, If you're driving along the freeway, blink your lights so I know you'll know you're listening. And not one set of lights will blink <laughs> so, uh, so I apologise to Macca for stealing that from him. I didn't get anything out of it anyway.
1: So in the wash-up, Ted, was it the cut and thrust of commercial radio or the ratings-free environment of the ABC that best suited the Ted Bull style of broadcasting? Um,
0: yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, I always had a bit of a problem with commercial where they, 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 they tended to think I was a little arrogant and, and knew more than I thought I did and it was great to go to the abc where that was very I very quickly kicked out of me by people who were more arrogant and certainly more clever
1: yeah nothing like meeting your match to bring you back to earth now listen finally ted what can you tell us about mel who was a good mate of don henderson's
0: ah yes my uh, oh my my love of the stage and theater uh and uh, involved in community theater particularly which I discovered was more political than the ABC. But no, I I did a lot of shows. Uh, I did a lot of musicals. Gilbert and Sullivan's directed quite a few, appeared in them. Yeah, I I always enjoyed getting up on stage. It's something that never bothered me. A lot of my colleagues in radio could never handle being on stage in front of an audience, but it's something that that never, ever bothered me. It's something I enjoyed. I just saw it as as part of the extension of, of, of as a performer. Earth in the rain. It may be pretty to look at, but it's not so good to be out
1: in. It kind of makes the great outdoors a good place not to be. Inside, warmth, security, and the music of PR. Okay, Ted, this is part of the chat where we throw at you a dozen or so quickfire questions. We generally start off with, where were you when you heard that John Lennon had died?
0: Uh, the studio of 6IX, and I was program director then, so we absolutely shattered, but immediately started putting together uh, a special, immediately, as everybody did.
1: Which was the last concert ticket that you paid for?
0: The Eagles, here, in in, in Perth, and that was after the Bob Dylan concert that I saw, but I don't think Bob Dylan was there.
1: Is there a concert act that you regret never seeing?
0: Bit of of a story. When I was at TUW, and I moved off breakfast, and I was doing 10 to 1 at night. And they offered me this uh, trip to take a tour to Las Vegas. And I was on air, and I had this mate of mine who was a journalist who'd rung up and taken the fish out of me. So on air, we're talking about 72, I said, well, why don't you get stuffed? So immediately, I was dragged across the coals, and they took the tour away from me, which was to Las Vegas, to guess who I was going to feed.
1: Not Elvis Presley.
0: Yeah. yep. yep. And about the only regret I have in life is that time when I told that mate of mine to get stuffed because wow, what an opportunity. Anyway, it happened.
1: The word that you had most trouble pronouncing on air.
0: Diverticulitis. <laughs> Diverticulitis, uh diverticulus. Uh this this is ABC seven forty five News Bulletin when it was important. Uh diverticulitis, divertic... Oh, mate, I... Oh, terrible. I just hope I never suffer from it as I suffered from trying to get the word out.
1: Okay, Ted, was there ever an incident on air that had you thinking that you might get those don't-come-Monday orders?
0: No! No, I was always justified in what I said and what I did, even if they didn't like it. Now, I was a goody-goody two-shoes.
1: Skyhooks or Sherbert? (laughs)
0: Now, I thought about this. This is not easy because um, from Sydney, so sherbet, uh, Skyhawks did work in Melbourne, uh, married to a Victorian. Can I I call that a draw? I like them both. Also, Daddy Cool from that time.
1: The Rolling Stones or the Beatles?
0: Silly question. Next one. (laughs) The Beatles, of course. Sorry, Paul. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, no offence taken, Ted uh, The most treasured piece of memorabilia from those early rock and roll days
0: uh, I, I really don't have I have a couple of old scrapbooks uh, Which are, are nice to get, look at And take copies of some of the photos to put on Facebook uh, Particularly when Art Ryan from 2HD starts going on about good guys there And I love sort of posting old pictures of us when we were good guys at 2HD in 1969. That's fun.
1: The biggest news story that broke while you were on air?
0: Okay, America's Cup. On air, doing breakfast, 6IX, saw the whole thing, broadcast the whole thing. Absolutely amazing, stunning, particularly here in Perth. Uh, It was just an incredible day. And and the most tragic, of course, was uh, I was doing nights, the ABC, June 1996. And the Black Hawk uh, training exercise near Townsville—remember that? Eighteen men mm-hmm. died, and of course they were SAS, and and you know the connection with the SAS here in in Western Australia. So that really, uh, yeah, that was tough because basically, Paul, and I think you've probably gathered, I tend to be a tap dancer more than a journalist, and yep. those heavy stories, and and yet you know, nine eleven, I still consider that day after nine eleven the most incredible. Uh, an impressive day of broadcasting I ever experienced, and it showed me for sure why the ABC, when it comes to things like that, can do it so much better than anyone else.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, Ted, was there someone you interviewed who had you starstruck when they walked into your studio? Uh,
0: He's a man who wrote one of the greatest lines of all time, (laughs) which goes, I'm going to live till I die, Chris Christopherson, because I was such a hero, and I wanted him to be my second best mate. I wanted him to say, hey, Ted, let's go and have a beer. You know, and he didn't. (laughs) But, oh, no, he, yeah. Uh, I I was like a teenager. I really was silly, Noah.
1: Best words of advice from a program manager? One word, prepare. And finally, Ted, two albums that were the soundtrack of your teenage years. Please please me in with the Beatles.
0: (laughs) I'm a bit of a fan.
1: Hey, Ted, it's been an absolute delight spending time with you today talking about what has been an incredibly diverse but successful radio career. Hey, thanks for joining us on Pilots today.
0: Well, it's a pleasure and thanks for taking your time to to, to talk to an old jock. Oh, before you go, just one quick line and this is it. People ask me, they say, Ted, are you a journalist or a jock? And always say, I'm a jock because a journalist wants to be taken seriously and a jock wants to be taken to lunch.
1: Ted, I'll definitely keep that in mind next time I'm in Perth. Thanks again.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Paul. Bye.
1: Ted Bull on Pilots of the Airwaves.